You're listening to Season 4, Episode Number 5 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Matthew Sorens, the co-author of the book Welcoming the Stranger and U.S. Director for Church Mobilization with World Relief. We discuss the topic of migration in the world today, specifically related to the movement of refugees. Almost every day in the news, that topic makes the headline. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. You know, as you have listened uh, to me on this podcast and you've read some of my writings, you know, one of the things that is near and dear to my heart is the issue uh, of the, the peoples on the move that I often talk about. You know, back uh, when I wrote my book, Strangers Next Door, I uh, talked about the importance of the church uh, recognizing uh, while this, is, this movement of the peoples around the planet is nothing new, it's something that uh, often we have neglected to uh, to. Uh, incorporate into our ministries and things of that nature. And so more than ever, uh, are there are massive waves of peoples that are on the move. And so we as followers of Christ need to ask, you know, how now shall we live? And one of the things that uh, I came across some time ago was, was a book called Welcoming the Stranger. And uh, it's co-authored by Matthew Sorens and, and Jenny Yang. And I uh, have Matthew with us here on the podcast today. I'm going to introduce him in just a second. Uh, but we're going to talk about this book, but at the same time, we're going to talk about some other things related to uh, what's going on in the world of immigration and the world of, of refugee uh, resettlement and movement and things of that nature. And so uh, let me go ahead and introduce you to our guest today. So Matthew Sorens, uh, co-author, as I mentioned just a second ago with Jenny Yang, of Welcoming the Stranger, the book's subtitled Justice, Compassion, Truth in the Immigration Debate. Matthew is the U.S. Director of Church Mobilization with World Relief, and he's a national coordinator with the Evangelical Immigration Table. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to have Matthew with us. So, brother, welcome to Strike the Match. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, it's good to hear for you. Right. Hey, it's it's good to, good to hear for for you uh, from you again. In fact, uh, Matthew and I were just talking before we started recording that it's probably been about two years. He's had two children <laughs> since he and I last spoke. <laughs> yeah, we have a full house and we're keeping busy. So, what what are their ages right now? They're they're one, three, and five. Yeah. Uh, so they are a lot of fun and. Pretty exhausting most of the time as well. That's that's awesome. Now, are you in your office? Because I'm I'm hearing uh, folks in the background. I am. Yeah. We're, so I'm in my office in Aurora, Illinois, which is one of the locations where World Relief does refugee resettlement. So so let's maybe we could start there. So World Relief. I know some of my listeners are going to be very familiar uh, about World Relief, uh, but some of them will not. And and again, um, uh, you've been with World Relief for several years. So could you tell us a little bit about the organization? Yeah, so World Relief actually started in the 1940s in response to the, the refugee crisis after World War II with all sorts of displaced people in Europe. And it was a church actually in Boston that pulled some money together to help local churches in Europe respond to that crisis. And really since then, the 
those two dynamics of the local church and the displaced have been at the center of our ministry. So since the late 70s, we've been involved in resettling refugees um, as one of, at this point, nine agencies that are uh, working with the U.S. State Department to welcome families as they arrive and help them kind of get on their feet and to adjust. And what makes us maybe a little bit distinctive is that our mission is not just to resettle refugees or help immigrants integrate into communities, but to empower the local church mm. to serve to serve the most vulnerable. So we really want the local church to be at the front of that process of welcoming newcomers as they arrive in the country, helping them adjust, helping them, um, you know, to flourish in the country. And um, so we've been doing that for almost 40 years now. And I think we've welcomed about 300,000 refugees in that time in various locations across the country. Wow, that that is that is amazing. Uh, you know, I was reading a book some time ago um, on on refugees, and it, it referred to the 20th century as the age of the refugee because of the you know the waves of people that, um, particularly post World War II, uh, that were fleeing uh, countries of birth. Uh, has has the the wave, so to speak, or waves, has it slowed down in the 21st century? No, um, unfortunately, it hasn't. It's uh, if anything, it's probably accelerated. Mm. Uh, the in you know the last several years, we've hit a new record each year, and at least according to the UN's statistics, on numbers of people who've been forcibly displaced. So, refugees would be those who have fled their country because of a well-founded fear of persecution for particular reasons. And the UN estimates at this point that there's about 25 million of those people in the world. That's uh, that's more than than at any other point in recorded history. Mm. So we don't have perfect data on how many people there were uh, post-World War II, but we think it's probably fewer than the number there are now. Wow. So, you know, we pick up the newspaper, if people still pick up those things, uh, we pick up our tablet, how about that? And we look for, we <laughs> look, read our news, we, we turn on, on television, and uh, all kinds of conversations and we, we, about this issue of, of migration. And so sometimes people use the word migrant. Sometimes people will use the word refugee. Sometimes people will talk about immigration. Uh, so can you break it down for us? Can you help us to understand that there is a difference uh, between a, a refugee and someone who migrates? I know you, you, you briefly mentioned it just a second ago, uh, but not everyone is a refugee that moves, right? That's right. So I, I sort of think of it uh, maybe as a helpful analogy that refugees are a subcategory of, of immigrants. So immigrants are just people who have moved from one country to reside in another country. Mm-hmm. And just in the United States, we've got roughly 40 million immigrants living in this, in this country, which is more than any other single country in the world in terms of hosting people from other places. Um, refugees what makes them distinct? They are, in a sense, immigrants because they meet that definition. They've left one country to reside in another. But what distinguishes them is the reason they have left. Uh, they, at least to be legally designated as a refugee, you have to have a well-founded fear of persecution uh, because of your race, religion, political opinion, national origin, or social group. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the internationally recognized definition of a refugee. That that and those things have to have led you to flee your country. So if you have fled persecution, but you're still you know, you left your house and you moved halfway across your own country, but you're still within the boundaries of the country, That that's not a refugee either. That's an internally displaced person, still very vulnerable and, you know, an important thing for the church to think about, but doesn't meet that technical legal definition of a refugee. Yeah, I, you know, I remember several years ago when, when Hurricane Katrina struck the Gulf Coast here in the United States that uh, some journalists were talking about the refugees that were fleeing New Orleans. Uh, that is yeah. not a correct use of the term refugee. 
It's not. And journalists, of course, you know, people understand what they're saying, I think. But I think it actually leads to some of the confusion Mm -hmm. because uh, on one hand, they didn't leave their country. Right. I mean, presumably they went to Texas or another state. Well, you know, Texas is is another country. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I love you Texans that are listening right now. (laughs) Right. And, And they also were fleeing a natural disaster, which, again, from like a Christian perspective, I'm not saying there's any distinction in how we would treat people, mm-hmm. but it does make a really important distinction legally. Right. Um, the same would be true, for example, when there was the earthquake in Haiti um, almost 10 years ago now. I remember there was a headline in the Chicago Tribune where I live about Haitian refugees coming ashore in Miami. Mm-hmm. And from a legal perspective, those people, I think, were all very sympathetic to their plight, but they weren't refugees. And they weren't treated as refugees when they reached the United States. They were treated as as immigrants entering the country unlawfully, and if they were apprehended, they were sent back. Um, whereas if someone has that well-founded fear of persecution that they can prove, which is not always easy, but if they can make that case, they'd be eligible for refugee status. Or the, That's another distinction. If you're designated for the U.S., at least, if you're designated abroad as a refugee, you come in after a vetting process on an airplane, mm-hmm. invited by the U.S. State Department. But we also have people who get to the United States uh, on their own, whether without a visa uh, or with a temporary tourist visa. And when they get here, they basically say, I meet the legal definition of a refugee. I can prove that I I have a well-founded fear of persecution for one of these reasons. And that's called requesting asylum. Mm-hmm. So uh, the U.S. government will consider each of those cases. And if they determine that you do meet the legal definition of a refugee, that you have a well-founded fear of persecution for one of the reasons under the law, our laws say we shouldn't send you back um, because we don't want to send someone back to that situation of danger. But again, those cases can be very difficult to prove. I uh, joke, but it's not really a joke that usually when people threaten to kill you in your country of origin, they don't do so with a notarized letter mm-hmm. that you're going to bring with you. And, you know, you have this very clear evidence. It's often more, you know, rumors or this happened to my neighbor and I kind of got a tip from a friend that this was going to happen, but it could be a hard thing to prove. Mm -hmm. And obviously people are fleeing, you know, one of those reasons people flee is religion. And a lot of the refugees that we serve are persecuted Christians, actually. Some are persecuted people of other faiths. Uh, Others are fleeing because of a political opinion that makes them a you know, a problem to the government of their country or uh, because of their ethnicity that there's a essentially a a, a genocide or ethnic cleansing of a particular people group in a particular country. So it, it's very wide. It varies quite widely, but everyone who comes as a refugee meets that legal definition, having fled persecution for one of those reasons. So, so let, let me flip the table on, on the fear, the fear factor here. So instead of the, the fear, uh, on behalf of the one who is fleeing, uh, obviously you turn on television right now, you, you, you sense among many, uh, U S citizens, uh, fear as far as people coming into the country and things of that nature. Uh, so there's a vetting process. I'm hearing you say that, that there, there's, there are letters there. It's not that just anyone shows up there brought in, you know, without any question. Uh, can, can you give us just a, I know it's, it's a very lengthy process, but could you tell us just in a summary of, of this, this vetting system that's out there? Yeah, it's, it's a very important question. And I think this goes to the confusion people have between different categories of immigrants. Right. Like people think maybe these are people showing up on the shore and we don't know who they are. I mean, frankly, you have politicians will say we have no idea who these people are. That is at best um, disingenuous mm-hmm. because our government has a very good idea who these people are. They've vetted them for months and usually years. Um, and that's a process for anyone being considered as a refugee. And it's worth noting that it's less than less than 1% of the world's refugees are ever considered for a settlement 
to any third country. Mm. In fact, this year it'll be less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's refugees who get to come to the United States. So it's very selective. And that vetting process for the United States involves the Department of State, the Department of Defense, the Department of Homeland Security, which actually sends trained officers to various parts of the world to interview people. Uh, involves the FBI, which does background checks, and the National Counterterrorism Center. It's a very thorough vetting process. Mm -hmm. Again, usually it takes somewhere between 18 months and three years. And it has a really strong record. I mean, I, I never want to say there's zero risk. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a risk for me to right. drive into my office this morning. But the risks are actually very minimal for American citizens. We've had 3 million refugees admitted to the United States since 1980. And at this moment, there's never been an American citizen who has lost their life in a terrorist attack perpetrated mm -hmm. by someone who came through that refugee vetting process. Mm -hmm. And again, that's not to say that could never happen. Right. I also think it's really important for Christians to, you know, if our standard is we would never do anything unless it is completely safe, I don't know where you'll find that in the Bible. Yeah. You know, we're called to the Great Commission. We're called to that great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And in the story that Jesus told as an example of what it looks like to love your neighbor, the good Samaritan on that road to Jericho stopped and helped someone on a dangerous mm -hmm. road where people get beaten and robbed. Right. So I'd want to challenge us too that, you know, safety can't be our top priority, which isn't to say we dismiss it. But the facts also suggest that unlike in certain other parts of the world where we have brothers and sisters in Christ who frankly are putting themselves at some risk to welcome refugees, where people have showed up seeking asylum who haven't been through a thorough vetting process. But in the United States, we have the blessing of being able to to welcome people and serve people knowing that they've actually been extremely carefully vetted. And, and we have good reason to think these are um, – you know, people who, who meet that legal definition of a refugee who have no affiliations that would make them a threat to anyone. Mm. So you, you referenced the, the Good Samaritan. Uh, let's, let's move the conversation and talk about uh, some of the practical matters related to the church, uh, starting with just, just why, should the, why should the church care about this, this large umbrella term immigration, which as you mentioned, refugees, kind of a subcategory of that. I mean, wh why should the church have this on her radar screen uh, in, a, in a significant way? Um, the church is not Israel. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we read the Old Testament passages, you know, talking about the stranger in our, in our land. Well, the church doesn't own the United States. You know, we're not a theocracy. You know, in, a, in other words, why, why should the church uh, have this as a matter of importance to her, to her life and ministry? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I would make a, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of places you can go to in the Bible, which I guess the short answer is why we should do this is mostly because the Bible, I think, in one way or another tells us to, or it guides us toward that direction. Mm. Um, you do have a lot about immigrants in the Old Testament. Um, the, the Hebrew word for a foreigner or a stranger or an alien, depending upon your translation in English, is the Hebrew word ger, which appears, I think, 92 times in the Old Testament text. And as you said, you know, I'm not suggesting the United States government should take the book of Leviticus and turn it into U.S. law. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have one thing that we do know is that there's some things we learn about God's character from how he is revealed in the Old Testament. Right, yes. So for example, in Deuteronomy 10, it says very clearly, it says, you know, the Lord your God is the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, the great and mighty God. And it goes on to say he enacts justice for the for the foreigner or the immigrant, the, the alien, depending which translation of your reading, mm -hmm. and it protects the orphan and the widow. 
And then it says, therefore, you must also love foreigners. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's that clear. This is God's character, and you must also do this. So that doesn't necessarily answer the question of what should the government's policy should be. But for the question of how does the church respond, our response is to love those who are foreigners. Uh, the same way, and that feeds into the New Testament command to love our neighbors. When Jesus is asked, well, who's my neighbor? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan, right. which a Samaritan, uh, we know from the Gospels, was viewed as a foreigner. Jesus refers to a Samaritan at one point as a foreigner when he's the one out of ten who comes and is thankful for being healed. Uh, so our response, generically speaking, is to love. And, and that also another New Testament principle there is the I well, not just New Testament, but it's the idea of hospitality, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of, you know, I grew up thinking of hospitality as maybe some committee at church that made coffee or <laughs> like having friends over for lunch, having relatives right. stay in the guest room. But hospitality in the Greek of the New Testament is philoxenia. It is literally the love of strangers, mm-hmm. which is a countercultural idea in the United States of America. Right. I mean, I grew up, I grew up hearing that. Like I watch Saturday morning cartoons about stranger danger. <laughs> like that's what we teach our kids. And of course I have kids. I understand why we are protecting children, but I think maybe as adults, that's our perspective or even subconsciously that we see people who are different from us, who are unknown to us, not just immigrants, but certainly could include immigrants. And our, our subconscious reaction is to be afraid to think of that as a potential threat. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to say that the Bible promises those people are not a threat. But I can tell you in Romans 12, we're commanded to practice hospitality, to practice loving strangers. And it's, it's a requirement for leadership in the church in First Timothy and in Titus. And in the book of Hebrews, it actually says that by welcoming strangers, people have entertained angels without realizing it. Yeah. And, and then lastly, I would say there's a great commission dynamic to this as well. Uh, and I know you've written on that with um, your book, which I think was really, really helpful. But I grew up in a church, uh, a great church, where we would have a missions conference every year. And I remember the bulletin board with the 1040 window, mm-hmm. this part of the world that we would pray for, uh, where there were very few known Christians in that part of the world. And, you know, we would pray that God would send missionaries there, that people would come to know Jesus. And we should do that. Mm-hmm. But I think we've often missed something rather profound in that God, and I think God in his sovereignty, and maybe in answer to some of our prayers— has sent people from various parts of the world, and especially some of those parts of the world that are largely unreached, to the United States, yes. whether as refugees or on student visas or you know through family sponsorship, in various different ways that people show up, uh, mostly with legal status, some without, mm-hmm. which brings up other questions, but doesn't actually have any impact on their need for Jesus. And I think you know if, if our attitude towards those who are immigrants is, well, those are scary people who we're not going to go near— we can't possibly live out that commandment to go make disciples mm. of all nations in our own neighborhoods. Right. Um, and I, I think that it's, you know, I, I, we actually did a survey with this with uh, Lifeway Research a few years back, and we asked uh, self-described evangelical Christians, what do you think of the arrival of immigrants in your community? Mm-hmm. And only a minority said, well, there, that's an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. A majority said, uh, well, it's some sort of a threat or a burden, whether right. security, economics. And this wasn't check one or the other. This was check all that apply. So you could think that, well, there's an economic issue here. There's a security issue. But it is an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. And I think that probably what's at play is our finite human brains have a hard time seeing an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And what I would argue is a divinely orchestrated opportunity when we fixated on this as a political issue, as a potential threat. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. We, we don't we don't see uh, you know what you know as I refer to the you know God being the divine maestro orchestrating the movement of these people coming whether whether they're coming as believers because the church is obviously the largest in majority world countries or whether they are coming as unbelievers. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. As much as we emphasize the Great Commission, which I'm really passionate about, you know, I've had the experience of trying to share the gospel with someone and have them sharing it right back to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, and frank, frank, <laughs> frankly in some ways that I needed to hear it. Right. I mean, I have things to learn from my Burmese Baptist Christian yes. friends who were persecuted for their faith mm-hmm. and fled and spent weeks in a jungle and then years in a refugee camp because they are passionate followers of Jesus. I don't, you know, I don't know what persecution looks like right. in the United States of America. We might experience sort of mild discrimination uh, in the United States context, but we, and that's true particularly of the refugee program. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously I can't measure people's hearts, but based on self-identification, there's been more Christians who've come to the U.S. as refugees than those of any other faith background, which I think it's surprising to people because people have this idea of it's all Muslims from the Middle East. Those people do come in lower numbers right now than they used to, but you know they were a, a share of those coming. But there's always been Christians coming from, right. from the Middle East, right. from Burma, from Congo, from Ukraine, from various parts of the world. You know, one, one other passage that came to mind uh, while you were talking, you know, you know, in Matthew 25, you know, when, when Jesus was talking about the judgment, I mean, one of the, one of the questions uh, to the goats and the sheep, you know, is the, uh, you were a stranger, you know, you took me in. And the other group, you know, yeah. I was, you know, I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. And so yeah. there, there there is this notion, you're right, there are the, uh, these principles throughout the Old Testament reveal the character of God. There are blatant, uh, you know, commands that are in the New Testament that, that there is a, a very a very good Genesis to Revelation understanding of how we should care for those that would be the, the stranger, you know, among us, to, to welcome the stranger. So, Let's talk about your book, Welcoming the Stranger. Um, it's in a revised edition, so congratulations. That's exciting to uh, to see it out. Uh, yeah. I'm excited about that. Tell tell us about this book. What What is this book about? You know, a, a big focus of this book, and as you said, we, we came out with the first edition of this, my colleague Jenny Yang and I, back in, I think it came out in 2009. Um Really, because at the time, there was not much of a conversation happening That's right. in evangelical I th- churches. I think this was the first book on the topic. I think, I mean, there's a few others there? okay. that came out around the same time. But when we started working on it, at least, there was nothing that I could find. Uh-huh. Um, and really, that's part of why we wrote it. We wanted a good book to help explain to people why at World Relief, we think it's so important that we welcome immigrants. Right. Um, and a lot of the focus of the book is on the particular question of well, what about those who are here illegally? Because that tends to be kind of the lightning rod that yes. I think is a major a major reason that a lot of people just avoid this topic altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's controversial. We don't want to go near that. And on one hand, well, that that's not even a reason not to go near refugees because they all have legal status anyway. Right. But on another, we want to make the case that we're not dismissing the law or saying the law is unimportant. Right. And we spend a, a good amount of time in the book looking at Romans chapter 13 mm-hmm. and that command to be subject to the governing authorities. But we really believe that it's possible for us to be subject to the governing authorities and honor the law while also showing love and compassion to people who are very vulnerable yes. and, and being witnesses to who Jesus is. Um, we don't think that those commands uh, of Scripture are necessarily at odds with one another. Right. 
you know, when when I first read through this book, um, I I have I was really impressed at just the 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 breadth of knowledge that that you and Jenny put into this resource to to help churches think through some of those legal things, some of those government policies that most of us are ignorant to. You know, I think it's we really think the policy questions, uh, while not primary, are really important yes, right. because. You know, one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King Jr., and this is a paraphrase, certainly, but he basically said, if you're going to love your neighbor, of course it means helping the guy beaten up on the side of the road to Jericho. Mm -hmm. You know, going back to Jesus' story in Luke 10. But if the next day someone else is beaten up on the side of the road to Jericho, and the next Mm -hmm. day someone else is beaten up on the side of the road Mm -hmm. to to Jericho, at a certain point, loving your neighbor means asking the question of what's wrong with that road. Yeah. And one of the blessings of living in the United States of America is— we get to be a part of determining how those policies look. And in fact, that's part of being subject to the governing authorities, as Romans 13 uh, requires of us in a democracy. Mm -hmm. We we get to influence those decisions. And that's important because, I mean, frankly, for example, looking at the refugee program, which isn't a question of legal or illegal, those people are coming in with legal status. But at the moment, there's very, very few people being allowed to come in. I mean, there was... 96,000 refugees admitted to the United States in 2016, just two years ago. This year, we're on track for fewer than 22,000. Mm-hmm. So it's a really steep cut. And, you know, that's hard for us, primarily because we, a lot of those people who we would have expected to come are family members of people already here. So we're hearing from their family members, when is my relative coming? We used to be able to tell them, well, this is the process. This is how long it'll probably take. Mm-hmm. And now we've had to tell people, especially from certain countries, but to some extent from everywhere, we don't know if your relatives are going to be able to come. Wow. And we know that they're in very desperate situations in a refugee camp or maybe even still in that country where they're at risk of persecution. Mm-hmm. And again, some of these are, are persecuted believers as well. I think people maybe have the impression that we're, as a country, our government is keeping Muslims out and Muslim refugee settlement is down more than 90% over those two-year period. But Christians are down about 65% as well, mm-hmm. including uh, and particularly Christians from the Middle East, again, and these are primarily Orthodox or Catholic believers, so some some evangelicals, who are persecuted particularly because of being being followers of Jesus or that association in countries where there are terrorist groups like ISIS or right. or just extremely repressive governments like in Iran, and those people from the from most parts of the Middle East, persecuted Christians are down you know eighty ninety percent wow. as well, mm. and I, I think that's been kind of off the radar. It's not what the news has been covering, but it's a, a reality that's very troubling. And it goes to why we think these policy questions are important. Yes. Um, not as not as important as the individual relationships that we form. But frankly, when you start to interact with refugees, these questions are going to come up. When you interact with immigrants and they have members of their families who are not here legally and they want to make things right, right. they want to get right with the law, but that's not possible without some changes to law. So people are listening, some of them have a copy of your book already, the, the, the first edition. Um, they're familiar with it. How does this revised edition uh, differ from, from the first? Yeah, well, it, you know, we were able to make a lot of changes, which was really fun. I, I'd say more than half of the book is actually... <laughs> Are you saying you go back written. and correct all your mistakes? <laughs> yeah, well, it, to some extent... I wish I had all I these mean, second editions of mine. <laughs> I know, it, because it is funny. I mean, there's the things that when we were writing this a decade ago, we thought were important. And then, right. frankly, in 10 years of speaking in churches, nobody's ever really brought up that question. Mm-hmm. For example, I don't think we really mentioned in the first edition the dynamic that some immigrants are Muslim. Mm. Like, that just didn't mm-hmm. seem as big of a deal. Ten years ago, 
now that's probably the number one concern on refugees wow. is, well, what about the fact that some people are Muslim or the presumption that all refugees are Muslim, mm-hmm. you know, even just mis- correcting that misconception. Um, the other thing that has changed is, so a lot of it's just changing the way we approach this. Another really positive change that was fun to write about is how the response of the church in the last decade has really become much more robust. Um, there was always been some churches responding to this issue, and frankly, especially immigrant churches, mm-hmm. you know, um, Spanish-speaking churches or Korean-speaking churches that were very engaged. But a decade ago, this was a, almost a taboo topic in a lot of majority culture churches. Like A lot of churches just didn't want to go near it. And not that it's become easy to engage, but I think we have seen, especially at like a denominational level or kind of a national level, a lot of leaders, and some of that has been through the evangelical immigration table, which I get to help coordinate, have spoken into this topic. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Southern Baptist Convention did a resolution on, right. on immigration issues just a few months ago. National Association of Evangelicals did a resolution a few years back, and that's all new since our first edition of our book. Mm, wow. But then the, the flip side of that is the politics have probably become much more difficult. Yes, yeah in the last decade. And, um, you know, we, we come at this from a nonpartisan perspective. We're not here to tell you who to vote for, which party is better on this. But, you know, a, a decade ago, we were at the end of the Bush administration and President Bush was a really strong advocate for immigration reform. Um, frankly, President Obama had basically the same position. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, neither of them was able to successfully get that legislation into law. And at this point, that sort of legislation seems pretty far from, mm-hmm. you know, political possibility, which, you know, God can work uh, miraculously and change some people's hearts. But at this point, the Congress doesn't seem to want to go near this issue um, in a way in terms of like comprehensively fixing some of the big problems with our immigration system. Yes. And if anything, we're on, from my perspective, we're on the defensive on refugee issues, mm-hmm. which a decade ago were uncontroversial, really, like. I, or we, I, I don't know if most Americans just didn't know, you know, what a refugee was, right. but, you know, they all have legal status. By definition, they have these very sympathetic stories. And, you know, we've got the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor saying, give me your tired, your poor, your teeming masses, you're to breathe free. Mm-hmm. I, it used to be sort of a point of national pride that the U.S. was a safe haven for some of the most vulnerable, persecuted people in the world. And it still is funny, uh, but for many others, it's it's a... It's almost a, it's viewed as an existential threat that we would have refugees coming into the United yeah. States. If you're if you're listening, I, I want to strongly encourage you to get a copy of Matthew and Jenny's book, uh, "Welcoming the Stranger." This is what we've been talking about uh, on this on this episode, and, and this is an incredible resource. I mean, it it is the go to resource for me when I have questions about these matters that we've been talking about. Uh, I listen to things on the news. I get confused. I don't understand what's happening. And uh, and this brother and sister, uh, they've done an outstanding job of putting this material together to really help the church and, and help the individual think through some of the, these matters. Uh, Matthew, where can people find you online? Uh, I know you're out there. Yeah, I spend probably more time than is helpful on Twitter. <laughs> so it's uh, my, my full name, Matthew Sorens, which is S-O-E-R-E-N-S. Um, or if you search for me on, on Facebook, you'll there, I have a page there as well. And, and World Relief also has, um, you know, they, they have a lot of good content that, that we push out, in t- especially related to refugee issues and immigration issues, but also the work that we do outside the United States as well. So in, in addition to people getting a copy of, of your book, uh, if someone wants some quick online assistance, uh, where, where could they go? 
Yeah, please do reach out to me on, on Twitter or Facebook. Um, and we also have a bunch of resources on the um, on at welcomingthestranger.com. So we've got a, a new small group curriculum. Welcomingthestranger.com, uh, okay. Yep, welcomingthestranger.com. So we have a small group curriculum. It's got little video introductions from me and from Jenny for a six-session small group study um, that's designed to be you know really flexible for people looking to explore this issue more. Uh, there's... Yeah, there's a lot of resources that we've tried to develop. Again, we're really passionate about the church. You know, we may or may not all agree on public policy, but we think it's so important that the church is having a biblical discussion about this topic Mm -hmm. and not just a a right wing or left wing, a Fox News or an MSNBC discussion. But what does the Bible say that is grounding our thinking? Well, I certainly appreciated what you and Jenny have done in putting this book together, Welcoming the Stranger, Justice, Compassion and Truth in the Immigration Debate. Make sure you all get a copy of that. And I appreciate what you two are are continuing to do and continuing to beat the drum, uh, not just getting caught up in some of the uh, the, the hot issues uh, like many of the, the masses are and adding fuel to the fire but are trying to come in with a, with a, with a biblical worldview and ask how, how should we as followers of Jesus respond and, and, and to me I think that is most helpful so I thank you very much. Well thank you JD we appreciate all the ways you're contributing to this conversation as well. Your, your book has been a really great resource for us. I appreciate you brother take care. Thanks so much You have been listening to Strike the Match with JD You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.